Okay, fellas, we're here with the inaugural episode of the Outdoor Adventures podcast. I got Kyler Glasky with me with Wildland Property Group, Dylan Williams with West Slope Outdoors, my brother Charlie is an outdoorsman, father, paramedic, myself, Sam Williams, outdoorsman. I don't really need to say anything else about what I do, get people in debt for 30 years. Um, so we're here to talk about why we hunt or why I hunt as an individual. And, you know, it's our first time doing this, so we've had some technical difficulties, you might say, and we've got headphones, but we don't know how to make them work. So we're going to figure that out. It's going to get better, and we're excited to talk about the outdoors. So I'm going to turn it away to Kyler to tell us why he hunts. Yeah, uh, there's a lot of reasons why I hunt. I think the biggest reason is... uh, I love being outside and nature and it makes me feel good and I like to eat uh I like to eat what I kill. Uh I have a hard time buying buying meat at the store that's been like commercially farmed and I don't know. I just it's not for me. So anytime I can eat wild game and uh be outside, that's kinda it's my jam. How many years have you been hunting? Uh since I was like six probably so maybe like 24 years and what's the coolest thing you've seen out in the woods the coolest thing yeah or your best experience like if you had to pick one that's impossible but uh the coolest thing i've seen in the woods hunting the coast is probably they have these giant salamanders and i was hunting uh during archery season with my dad i think and I was walking through this uh, like second growth timber where it's all clean underneath, you know, everything is died off and the sun doesn't get down in there and it's cool. And I was walking along and I saw this like probably like two foot long salamanders walking through the woods. Yeah, that's cool. That's the coolest thing I've ever seen. And we're coming at you from Oregon too. We should probably say that so you know what we're talking about. So uh, Dylan, what do you got for us? Well, I'd like to touch on the one of the coolest things that I've seen or I've experienced out there. Sam, you were involved in this situation. We'll, we'll throw Sam under the bus immediately with this one. Um, so it was me, Sam, and one of our friends, John. We're walking down this little road. John was walking behind me. I was about five feet in front of him. Sam was about 10, 15 feet in front of me. And I just get punched right between the shoulder blades from John. And I turn around like, what the? What are you doing, dude? And first thing he says to me was cat. In my first instinct, I wanted just to run away as fast as I possibly could, not even turn around. When I turned, I see this cougar hunched over, walking around this bend of these trees, and just jumps right at the back of Sam's legs. And we were yelling at Sam, cat, 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 and he turns the wrong way to this cat and turns (laughs) his back right to him. (laughs) And then as soon as he turns, that cat turns and looks at John and I. And it starts walking or starts running towards us. And I went, oh, this is it. We're done. <laughs> and then you yelled. I remember you yelling, shoot that cat. Cause I did have a cougar tag as well. Yep. And then it turned, started running up the hill. And I think you got two shots, one shot, uh, one shot. I, w- I, cause it, it happened. I mean, this whole story transpired in about nine seconds. Yes. And that cat was the most powerful thing I've ever seen in the woods. The muscles on his shoulders as he was, you know, bounding up that hill. 
and I went to turn and shoot with the thirty out six, and I got one shot as he's like cresting the hill, and he's a big old tom, is what I figured. The only cougar we've ever seen in there ever. Yeah, and he was just a monster. That was a big cat. I'll never forget that either. I dreamed about it for a long time, and those boys always talk about how I almost let them get eaten by a cougar every time we're hunting. So, well, we were really smart. We just didn't have anything to protect ourselves either so we had a we, camera yeah we film. all we all left it. all of our pistols in the truck yeah, yeah. <laughs> didn't even have a pocket knife yeah relying on a 30 out six <laughs> from about five feet away <laughs> the poop, perfect yeah. cougar yeah. weapon it's yeah as good as and i'm is. a spot on shooter as you all know so it's if i'm the guy with the weapon you know you're safe yeah yeah mm-hmm. for yeah. sure yeah well because i think it was that morning you missed that that one at blade right about maybe three shots at him yeah, yeah. You know, they call me Sure Shot Sam. That's my nickname around the hunting camp. So, yeah. but Dylan, elaborate more on why you hunt. When, what age did you get starting on hunting, and kind of, you know, that was your coolest experience. But let's tell us more about why you hunt. The first hunt that I went on, I was seven years old, and my dad shot just a stud blacktail. The one day I went, um. And ever since that moment, once I saw the inexperienced everything and I was seeing deer in the woods, I saw we saw an elk that day as well. Um, that moment, it was like I, I knew this is something that I wanted to do forever. This was the best, best thing, best experience, being out there with my dad and at the time his brother. Um, it was so fun. And just being there with the family, being out in the woods, um, learning new experiences. Every hunting season, I learned something. Mm-hmm. from somebody whether it's hunting related fishing related doesn't doesn't matter it has something to do with how I, what i do for work whatever um i learned something from these people and that's something that i very ch- i cherish deeply just being around all you guys and um and like yeah i mean big thing for me like i'm a very competitive guy and i want to be the best at what i'm doing too so um i take what i take hunting very seriously and being in the outdoors very seriously because that's like i said i want to be the best at it Mm-hmm. So, um, each day we're out there, I try to either glass a little different in order to see something bedded down a little better, check for little things like that. Um, when I'm walking, trying to be as quiet as I possibly can, taking different routes, whatever the case may be. Um, yeah, it's just one thing. I, like I said, I just want to be as good as I can and respect the animals that I'm hunting. So, yeah, yeah. Respect nature and get out there and shoot further shoot better you know we joke around about me not being a good shot and i have missed some animals over the years but that's the same way i feel about it it's like i always want to be getting better and i always want to learn new ways to go about it and you know i've added archery hunting into my repertoire just because we can't get our you know rifle tags as often as we used to be able to get and i've really enjoyed that just getting closer to the animals I'm, i'm still not very proficient at it but you know it's it's a lot of fun just getting out there at a different time of year too so Charlie, what do you got going on for us on why you hunt? Um, well, yeah, there's a lot of reasons. Um, it's kind of hunting seems like it can kind of bridge all the um, age groups, and it seems like it's something you could do, I mean, your whole life. There's, there's different ways to hunt, and there's different, you know, you can get – deep in the woods and hike way in and camp or you can hunt from the road in some units so it's like it's one of those activities you can do for your whole life and it can bring a large group of people together doing it um so i mean it started with our dad you know hunting um 
he always hunted when we were kids and when I was younger I didn't go on those trips but it was still even though I wasn't there it was still an exciting time and you know there was no communication at that time no cell phone so like him coming home from hunting was like this super exciting kind of kind of a triggered the change of the season and just brought excitement to our house and we all loved to eat uh, venison growing up so yeah. we always used the meat and never went to waste ever our uh, dad was mostly a deer hunter so you know we we'd all go running out when he'd get home and see if he brought something home you know when we were little before we could go so yeah and then i mean starting out i i just went to camp i didn't have a tag when i was younger and just that experience, getting together with family, sharing stories, camping, was super rewarding time. And, you know, as as we go through life, a lot of people you kind of lose connection with, but it was always something, it was always a point to go do, and we always got together with family. We may not see otherwise, you know, if we didn't have these trips, so it was a good way to stay in touch with people, um, learned a lot of new skills, and uh, how to respect nature and be out there and be resourceful for yourself. Um, yeah. And let's see, what else can I say about that? Um, yeah, I mean, it's just brought a ton of memories. And over the years, I haven't, I've tried to get better at it, but I, at the same time, I don't want to research a lot of stuff. I like just kind of learning what was handed down for me from dad and my uncles and things like that and just kind of, building my own skills in a way as opposed to listening to um, different uh, information that's out there. I think there's some good in that, but it's also good to kind of build your own skills and found yeah. utility in that. Well, so our dad and his brothers, they would always plan the hunt, right? So they would go out to my grandpa's house. They'd sit down. They'd plan what they were going to eat, where they were going to go, where they were going to camp, and it was this big thing before they ever even got out in the field right and then they'd set up camp and they'd hunt for a few days and come back and you know they leave their work lives and their wives at home typically and just go out there and get a little break from it all and it wasn't it's not about taking an animal we all enjoy the meat you know we all love that aspect of it but the older i get the less I, mean, I never enjoyed taking an animal's life. You know, I mean, I respect the animal. I appreciate that it's given its life, that I get to enjoy that meat for my family. But it's about being out there in the pursuit and then spending the time with those folks. So, like, when I started hunting, I was 12. And, you know, I hadn't gone with Dad and his brothers, but I'd seen them all go, and I'd heard all these stories, and I was so excited to go. And my first couple of years was really a camping trip, right? It was riding Honda 90s, shooting BB guns, hanging out with my cousins that I didn't see very often, eating good food. Um, and I remember the first season I went, Dad, we were in this unit where we hadn't really hunted it, and Dad would get us up at, oh, dark 30. We had no gear. We're hunting in, like, T-shirts and, you know, like... Coors Light T-shirt. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, not Coors Light <laughs> so much. My dad wasn't a big drinker, but it was, like, you know, a Hanes T-shirt with cotton socks. And we were always like, Dad, our feet are freezing. He's like, you'll be fine, you know. And uh, keep walking. Yeah, keep walking. <laughs> so it would be, you know, O-Dark 30, maybe an hour before daylight, and he'd hiked us into this place, and we were sitting by this log basically waiting for daylight. And this little spike buck popped right up like, like a Pop-Tart is what he always said. He just shot up. It was in his bed, and we were right next to it. And he normally wouldn't have shot that buck, but since it was our first year hunting, me and my brother Seth, 
He's like, okay, boys, there's a buck out there. And neither of us saw it. And he goes, now turn your heads really slow. And we snapped our head around like something out of like The Exorcist. I've never seen that movie, but it's, you know, where the head spins around so fast. So we didn't listen to what he said. He shot that buck right in the heart. It took off running and didn't know it was still, you know, dead on the hoof type of thing. So he shot it again and dropped it. And we we were just so excited to experience that. And like, you know, the first time seeing the insides of a deer and walking through that whole process of processing the meat and stuff. And we were proud of our dad for, you know, bringing deer to camp kind of thing on the first morning. And after that, you know, I was kind of hooked. I was like, man, this is something I want to do. And for me, there's a big spiritual element to hunting. So, you know, I feel like humans, you know, we've messed up a lot of things, you know, just with the way we've done things and nature is so resilient and the purest way things were supposed to be in my mind, you know, and so we get a glimpse of that when they're, we're out there in nature and you get to see things in their pure environment. And for me, is a, I, I believe that God created all these things. And so I believe when I get to see those intricacies of creation, I get to see all the how the little microorganisms are connected to each other. And I studied fisheries and wildlife in college. And so like I love the science aspect of hunting too and just how everything's interconnected and how you can learn behaviors and patterns of animals and what they do and I love seeing big bucks and little bucks. And I mean, I'm mostly a deer hunter too, but I like elk hunting and bird hunting and all that. So for me, it's like, I've never had a bad day in the woods, but I've had a lot of bad days doing other things, you know? And the other piece that I wanted to touch on was just all of us live these regular domestic lives where it's like, you know, pick up the milk and the eggs and take the kids to school or whatever you got to do. And there's nothing wrong with that. And we all have, women in our lives that are willing to let us go out there and do something different, but getting a break from that and refreshing the tank and being able to come home to your family, uh, after having an adventure out in the woods, like those are times that you just kind of like what Dylan was saying, you just never forget them. You know, I have a hunting journal. My wife's one of these amazing people that journals all the awesome things that our kids do. I journal every hunting trip I go on and I write about what experiences I had And I figure maybe my kids will read it someday. Maybe they won't. But for me, it's like I want to keep those memories. There was a time I was hunting with your dad, Dylan, and um, his brother, Chris. And I totally forgot uh, this four-point encounter we had for like two years. And then that's when I started journaling after that because I was like, okay, I don't want to ever forget. uh, And like they were telling me the story. I'm like, no, I wasn't there. And they're like, yeah, you were. (laughs) (laughs) So after that, I was like, okay, I'm never going to forget it. And I'm just going to share, you know, uh, one other thing in regards to just a story that happened for us. And Charlie was with me. We were elk hunting. It was only my second time elk hunting, and I had a, a cow elk tag. And, you know, we hiked up this hill right behind camp and we went all the way up to the top, you know, and we had fresh snow every day. I didn't realize how awesome the conditions were at the time. Fresh powder every day. We tracked elk every day. We smelled elk every day, and we would get on the herd every single day, which just doesn't have, I've never had a trip like that again. And when I dropped that cow elk and we're sitting next to her and I'm looking at this thing, number one, was just in awe of how huge she was and how beautiful she was. And just grateful that all the things we had done had ended up with this animal on the ground that I was going to be able to put in my freezer. The other thought I had was how the heck are we going to get out of here with this thing? You know, I mean, (laughs) I remember looking at you, Charlie going, now what do we do, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And so we're trying to radio our uncles and tell them when we got an elk down. And, and we end up pulling her from the top of the mountain to, the, to our camp out hole. 
but our uncles had heard our call for help, so they came squirreling up at one point uh, in their pickup, and we'd gotten about halfway down the mountain. <laughs> but anyway, it was when I got up to that animal and the snow was just slowly falling on us and just like, I'll never forget that scene. I mean, for me, it was just like an awe inspiring gratitude, all those emotions that you feel as a hunter. And I think until you experience it, you don't know what it's like. And like on my way to coming in today, I drove by Burgerville, which is a local fast food joint here. And they had a sign on their thing that said, Rosemary fries are back. And I just started thinking that's why I hunt because I don't care that rosemary fries are back. You know what I mean? Like, we can spend all of our attention on all these other things that don't matter. And for me, connecting with family, getting out in the woods, doing the things that matter to you is what hunting's all about. Yeah, I think it's a good reminder when you're out there, too, how small you are and how insignificant all our problems are because you realize the only thing that really matters is the time that you're living in in the present because it can all go away so quickly. So it's a good reminder to be grateful for every day and everything we have. And maybe if you're doing wilderness hunts and you have your meals planned for the six days you're there and you only get one snack and you have to go to the river to get water and then you come back to town or civilization and you can go to the grocery store and buy whatever you want. And you're just so grateful for all those small things that we have. So I think that's another thing that's... Yeah, that's well said. Let's talk about that a little bit. When you've been out in the woods for a few days and then you get out to civilization for the first time, what does that feel like? (laughs) Go ahead, Dylan. Well, so one thing for me, like if I'm out in the woods for three or four days, I'm a sucker for a good cheeseburger, right? (laughs) You got some cravings? Yeah, so so we'll be making a trip to town, and as soon as I can go just that convenient, pull into somewhere and just order something and somebody brings it to me, and I don't have to go through the progress of cooking it and then cleaning all the dishes out there by hand and whatever the case may be when you're camping in the awesome weather that you're always given. Yeah. Uh, in Oregon, we hardly ever get rain. So yeah, never. It's usually dry. Yeah, it's never yeah. cold out. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, like just those little things, like Kyler's saying, that you really think of, like, man, why do like I take this for granted sometimes. Mm-hmm. And then that little break away and you're out there, and then you get to come back to it. It's just that refresher that, that I think a lot of people need. Yeah. So. You're like, man, life is good. Yeah. There's like, I have everything to be grateful for. And it's unfortunate that we have to go out to the woods to be reminded of that, but it's also a great opportunity to be reminded of that. So, yeah, you experienced like some of the coldest times you've ever had. Like, Charlie, remember that time on the back of that pickup? We got a ride from another hunter. It was the coldest yes. I've ever been in my life. And then yeah. it was snowing, and we were, we, they had their ATVs in there, and we were turned around, and they found us. And, you know, we're standing pretty much upright in the wind and the snow. And we got back to camp. We put our whole arms in the wood stove to try to heat up yeah. and then we ate some bacon scraps they had used to cure the pan with and my <laughs> uncle got back and he was like who ate that <laughs> that was the grease for the pan you know you yeah. gotta do what you gotta do yeah but yeah, i mean i remember being so delicious. hungry and so cold yeah. and it was that same elk hunt and we hadn't taken the elk yet and it was but we had put a lot of time on the ground you know and we just got a little turned around in the snow it's amazing how snow you can hunt an area your whole life and the snow just makes everything totally different. Yeah. You're just mm-hmm. Well, one thing that I noticed, right? So that just being out there, all the stories that you tell, you remember every little detail, right? So like anything that I can remember about hunting, I could tell you the exact location, the weather, what we were doing, 
how miserable we were, <laughs> whatever the case may be. And then there's stuff that happens day to day that I have for memories that I I couldn't tell you in two hours what happened. Yeah, like my work yeah. week, I couldn't tell you day to day ever. But my time in the woods, I remember, like you said, that little minutia. And even uh, for me, when I come back into civilization, everything's noisy and loud. And everybody's moving and everybody's off to do whatever they got to do. And I'm fast as they can. Yeah. And I'm a little overwhelmed. I'll sit there and my hair's all greasy, standing straight up. And I smell like, you know, the walking dead. And I go into a grocery store and I'm just like, what are these people even doing? Like, why am I here? And that's how I experience it when I come out out of a hunt. You know, it's just, I have this culture shock almost for a couple of days. And then you, I always am the guy that comes home sooner than I should. So then you get home and you really are like, man, I should have stayed that extra day. <laughs> like literally as soon as you get back home. Well, then that's you're... the point. Like you get this opportunity once a year and you have, at least here, you have like two months to do it. Mm-hmm. You know, really looking at it as far, well, not necessarily full two months. By the time deer season ends, which is in Eastern Oregon's like 10 days or whatever, then Western Oregon you have a month and then you only have one week for elk. So the, that's the only time that you're allowed to be out there and chasing these animals and doing this part. And you Uh, go after cougar and bear a little longer seasons or turkeys or whatever. Or hiking and scouting, but yeah, Yeah, actually hunting is only a couple months. As far as, because big game, as far as for us is for what we do. I mean, I don't go bear hunting. Mm -hmm. I I would like to, I just have never done it. Um, I've never gone out for cougars or anything like that. And I've done a little turkey hunting, but um, as far as deer and elk, those opportunities only come around that once a year and I want to take as full advantage of it as I can. Yeah. And that's why like for me, I got the job that I did just so I can have that time off to go and experience all that as much as I can when I can. Yeah. We only have so many hunting seasons in our lifetime, right? Kyler reminds me of that. Like when I'm like, Oh, I can't go. And he's like, yeah, you're going to be dead sometime. So (laughs) you might want to go. Right. So like we say I'm 30 Dylan's almost what? 24. 24. Young buck Young in the buck. room. <laughs> Sam's 40, probably. 43. 43. <laughs> Charlie's probably 35. Well, 33. He's well. Uh, but <laughs> the point I'm years. getting at is, like, we're probably only going to hunt until we're hopefully 70 years old. I mean, that's our plan is to all stay in shape to do that. But that's only 30 more hunting seasons, 40 more hunting seasons. And that's not a lot of time. So you really want to make the most of it. So that's a good segue into this story that just recently came out. So there's a Beaverton man, uh, 94 years old, and a gentleman wrote an article about him, Bill Monroe from Oregon Live, a 94-year-old Beaverton man, just another year of venison dinners. And so that's the name of the article. And so this guy, there's a picture of him, and he's holding up two chocolate lab puppies. So he's raising lab puppies right now. He's a hunter, fisherman been doing it his whole life and there's a picture of him holding up the buck that he got this year you know he hunts deer and elk because he loves venison more than antlers he says he rarely eats beef you know so it's it's a lifestyle for him he loves the food it keeps him in shape it gets him out there gives him some purpose in life if you will right so that you're not just you know counting down the days so i don't know that's that's how i'd want to be i'd like to go deeper than you know probably what the average joe could do i mean the fact that this guy's still getting after it even our dads you know like uh well your dad's dad dylan and my dad they're all in their 70s late 60s and they all went this year and 
they look like a bunch of Santa Clauses out there in the woods because they got these big white beards. But I mean, I really wanted to go on that hunt just to be out there with those guys, but they're still getting out there and doing it, you know? Yeah. Right. And I think throughout the years, there's always going to be reasons and things that come up that you can't get out there and it's easy to make excuses to not go. But I regret not going this year with those those guys, but it, I didn't have a tag and so it was hard to like convince my wife uh that I should go out there, but it's it's been tough. Like my wife was not exposed to hunting at all growing up and so the whole concept was foreign to her. Um she didn't trust my you know, ability to butcher an animal properly <laughs> when, <laughs> if you knew how, you know, most of the farmed meats were, um, butchered, you probably would never eat them. Um, but it's just, if you haven't seen that before, it's kind of a shock to you. So over the years, it's taken quite a few to get her accustomed to just the process and actually being comfortable eating venison. Um, but that's something, you know, it's like anything in life, exercise or eating healthy, you got to make it a priority. And I think, I mean, we touched on it a little bit, but um, when you get away and experience those things, it just makes you, uh, it's just a release. I mean, it's like a spa day for some people or whatever the case may be. It just helps you kind of ground yourself and it makes you better in your daily life. It makes you a better parent, makes you a better friend. It just allows that. Um, side of yourself to come out and I think it's an important thing to prioritize in your life I think it makes you want to be better in all aspects too because you're like man I love doing this I could get in better shape I could be healthier and Mm -hmm. like yeah maybe my wife doesn't like it when I leave for seven days but also if I'm a better husband when I am at home she's probably more willing to let me go you know so it's like a it's an interesting cycle um that happens when you're out there. Yeah. And you guys are all in better shape than I am. Right. But every year I'm like, I'm going to get in better shape for hunting season. Like it's always a motivator. Cause I want to be able to climb up that mountain or chase after that elk or chase after that deer, or go down that hole that Kyler will take me in on the coast that I <laughs> barely want to come out of when he takes me down into it. <laughs> but it's, you know, it's learning that it's a motivator. Right. And the other thing I've tried to do over the years is when I get home from a hunt, you know, we got all our gear that we got to put away and clean up and make sure it doesn't mold or whatever because it's wet and dirty and whatever, and you're tired. And, you know, oftentimes, at least with my wife, and, um, you know, Dylan, your wife hunts a little bit, so you could talk on that in a minute here. But, uh, you know, with my wife, it's she doesn't come with me, and, you know, she's been holding down the fort with the two kids while I've been gone. So I've learned that, you know, putting up my gear and cleaning up everything after I've showered at least – then if she's ready to hand those kids off and get a break, I try to be as good as I can be to step right up to the plate and do what I got to do because she's been holding down the fort for however long I've been gone, you know? Mm-hmm. So, Dylan, how's your experience? Now, you have a new baby at home now, so your dynamic's changing. But um, before that, you know, Taya had hunted a little bit. And so, go yeah, ahead. Yeah, so um, Taya's hunted her whole life. Um, she killed her first deer two years ago, which I was – it was awesome experience. I was so happy I was a part of it. It's a nice buck. Very nice buck. First one, four by three, can't beat it. For a blacktail especially, it was it was a beautiful buck. And, you know, the, the cool thing with her being, like, wanting to hunt and knowing what it's like, she's way open to these experiences. But on the flip side of it, too, she also wants to experience it. Mm-hmm. So then 
like next year she has enough points she's going to draw the unit we hunt and i'm more excited for that because she's never experienced that eastern oregon deer hunt mm-hmm. um, mule deer hunt yeah we're, we're we that's what i grew up doing so that's i'm it's so familiar to me and then her she's only gone to eastern oregon one time for an elk hunt so um I, and she loves the unit, the one we're going to. We've been there a few times for camping trips, and we've seen a bunch of deer. And the fact that she gets to actually do that and experience it, I'm more excited. I'm already planning it, and we're a year out. Yeah. You know? And it's just one of those things. Like, I brought it up to her, and she's like, we could probably wait on this conversation. You know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, so it gets a little closer. Yeah. yeah. It's a little more difficult now because, yeah, like they're saying, like we have a four-month-old baby, almost five months, and – for her this hunting season she only got to go out one time our baby has been very fussy and the fact that she has let me go still is amazing i that was one thing that after the hunting season ended that was something that i was like man that is very fortunate Mm -hmm. because a lot of people aren't that lucky but she that also speaks to she knows what it does for you right and she knows you come home and you're going to be better you're going to be that better version of yourself that's refreshed from some time in nature and the way we were supposed to be we weren't supposed to be sitting in cubicles and staring at a computer all day you know and that's what a lot of us do charlie's out there saving lives but the rest of us thanks charlie yeah yeah you're welcome. Thanks for doing your part, Charlie. Yeah. So I've got a little excerpt that was floating out there on the web, and it's it's not it doesn't say who the author is, but it just says why hunt, and I'm gonna read it verbatim just so that I don't mess it up here for y'all. But um, I hunt because my father hunted, and he took me with him, and so we built a bond that I still cherish. I do not need to hunt to eat, but I need to hunt to be fully who I am. I hunt because it links me with the boy I used to be. And with the young man my father was then, I hunt because if I didn't, I wouldn't have seen. I would have seen fewer eagles and ospreys, minks and beavers, foxes and bears, antelope and moose. I hunt because it is never boring or disappointing to be out of doors with a purpose, even when no game is spotted. I hunt for the satisfying exhaustion after a long day in the woods, for the new stories that every day of hunting gives us and for the soft snoring and dreaming, whimpering, and twitching of sleeping dogs on the back seat as we drive home through the darkness. I hunt because it keeps my passions alive and my memories fresh and my senses alert even as my beard grows gray and because I am afraid that if I stopped hunting, I would instantly become an old man and because I believe that as long as I hunt, I will remain young. It's kind of cool, author unknown, and it's kind of been floating out there, and I just happened to see it, and I knew we had this coming up, so I took a picture of it. We should have had him on here. He's a lot more eloquent than <laughs> Yeah, yeah, he's a good speaker for sure. Uh, we maybe didn't get there quite as, as quick and easily as he did. Yeah, uh, but we all touched on those points, though. Yeah. 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 And I think, you know, what I'd like to do, I don't know how much more time we have, but maybe just talk about this year hunting season. You know, I had a really good season last year. I got to go on an antelope hunt and get my first antelope. Um, we got to go on a deer hunt. Um, we didn't go on our elk hunt. We drew a spike tag, but we decided not to go. But, um, this year I only went on an archery hunt. Charlie and I did in the unit that we hunt in and we saw 18 different mule deer bucks. We didn't get close enough to shoot any of them, but I'll tell you, it was one of the most fun hunts I've ever been on. I mean, we, we had one spot and stock situation where I'd seen this group of deer and, and we kind of 
saddled them on a cat trail, you know, and laid down behind a tree because it looked like they were going to feed toward us, and they came right up on us. And we just laid there and watched them, and they got probably within 50 yards, and then the lead doe spotted us, and they all kind of kept moving on. But, I mean, it was we got to see some amazing stuff, and it wasn't just about the hunt. Um, the last night we were there, this thunderstorm came in, and the clouds were just beautiful in the sky, and Charlie was out, uh, you know, just pursuing some animals. And um, this flock of snow geese flew overhead and i'd never those things they're the loudest things i've ever i mean it was so loud i thought it was like is this like an i-5 like rush hour situation like it was so well, crazy when they were flying over so yeah that was them filming top gun maverick actually oh is that what it was? Yeah, yeah that was what <laughs> yeah, that was yeah. well and it must have been because that wind was so bad that night that our freaking tent was coming off of the ground you know i kept covering my face in case the poles would fall you know every <laughs> oh. time a wind gust would come up nothing better yeah but it was fun and charlie happened to set his cot right under the only hole in the tent when that rain was just pouring buckets yeah that was nice yeah (laughs) refreshing yeah yeah gosh that hunt that's my first time ever bow hunting and it's probably one of the best hunts i've ever been on and i mean we didn't get an animal but i mean just the constant i mean it was rigorous days hiking till you're exhausted um seeing so many different animals out there and their in their element and just getting on them and the thrill of the hunt i mean it was just an absolute blast um and so yeah i'm i'm kind of hooked now on bow hunting i plan on doing it next year um that trip in particular if you want to talk about the wrong way to come home from a hunt that was it because (laughs) unfortunately our last day at camp our uh camp actually got Rob, they took a bunch of our stuff, including Sam's phone, uh, which is something that's never happened before. Normally, there's kind of a code out there. I've always felt comfortable leaving our stuff and not worrying about it, but somebody was an opportunist, came in and ransacked our camp. And we kind of camp where it's easy access because we don't want to mess up the hunting, but also, like, I'd taken pictures of two really nice bucks that were on that phone. And, you know, that was the only day I left my phone in camp. And they took a bottle of whiskey. They took my gummy melatonins. Probably thought they were weed gummies. So I'm kind of excited <laughs> that they probably take those and fell right to sleep. Um, and then they uh, they took my gout pills and <laughs> Charlie's whole duffel bag full of clothes and my frame pack, which was my biggest loss of that. But, yeah, it was kind of – it soured us a little bit. But at the same time, it's like, well, we're just going to – camp a little deeper in next time yeah. you know but even with that the terrible end to it we still one of the most memorable and fun hunts i've ever been on but we ended up going to a Verizon store on the way home so sam could get a new phone and talk about like i thought we must have died out there hunting i was in purgatory <laughs> waiting to go to hell because verizon is just the worst it's this podcast so is not going to be brought to you by verizon <laughs> oh, absolutely yeah. not yeah. Well, I'll delete that email I was about to send. So, <laughs> yeah, they wanted us to. Uh, so Sam had pre-ordered everything two hours out. Get to Verizon store, and they're like, "Well, you got to log into your email." And of course, email needs a two-point authentication to get into your email. Which yeah, you didn't have a phone. You need Correct. your phone to do that, right? So they did not understand that. <laughs> so we couldn't show them an ID to verify who Sam was. We had to call a hotline in India <laughs> so they could verify who Sam was so we could pick up our stuff. 
I almost killed everybody conversation there. there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was a fun way to get from what we were talking about, that pure time in the woods to, hey, this Instantly is society. back <laughs> to society. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, and Charlie was like, I'm going out to the truck. And- but I will say it's the most Coors Light I've ever drank in a <laughs> Verizon parking lot before. <laughs> so that oh, was man. nice. Yeah, that was the only way he didn't destroy that place. <laughs> he was... It was it was frustrating because we were trying to get home to our family, and I just wanted to pick it up quickly on the way because I need my phone for work, you know. And uh, it didn't quite work out that way. It was yeah. There was That's a, just your headphone jacks. So you're fine. Yeah, I thought my mic was um, unplugged. When I went out to the, the parking headphones. lot, a lady came up to Sam. She thought I was having a mental health breakdown. <laughs> She's like, "Is your brother okay? Should I, should I call the hotline?" <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was funny. You should have got a authentication in there for you new phone for you you should have just walked back in that store and said yeah i am having a mental health crisis but can you hook me up with a new phone maybe so that was our hunt season this year uh dylan how was yours so you you got to go out a little bit yeah i blacktail hunted you know with my rifle this year and the the weather was not our friend for a long time it's a hot october (laughs) it was a hot october and so for me i how i like to hunt i like or how my dad taught me how to hunt i should say um we spent a lot of times in clear cuts, glassing, um, trying to pick up deer bedded down and stuff like that. Um, you guys can glass up stuff that I would never see. Yeah, Dylan's pretty good when he gets his eyes behind the glass. It's a talent. It is. It's a talent. Lots of practice. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, well, yeah, it was a lot of practice. It took a long time to even see the first deer that I saw. On bino- but once you see it, like, as soon as I saw my first deer with the set of binos, I was hooked. That's what I like that. I loved it. I wanted to spend hours at each clear cut after that. Um, Cause it was another thing. It was like my competitiveness. It was a challenge to find something. So yeah. that was my goal. I have to see at least one deer before I move on. And unfortunately this year, like I saw a few deer, um, nothing that I wanted to shoot. I saw a couple small bucks, um, but I think it t- talked about it in there. That guy said he'd, uh, doesn't hunt to eat i don't need to kill something to eat it right. i want to be able to um try to take the oldest deer out of the herd who might not make it through the winter and i want those chance for those young bucks to enjoy a full life and get big um spread those genes around and grow a population so unfortunately i think i saw one big buck this year and i was walking really quiet through the awesome western oregon ground and stepped on this branch that sounded like i just shot my 300 and this thing stood up right in front of me about 50 yards and then i slipped and i was wearing romeos which was not ideal better than sketchers yeah that's true and i slipped fell on my back on the log and by the time i stood back up that thing just vanished the blacktail if you're in the timber at all and they take one step they're gone you'll never never see them again and they move like rabbits through blackberries. I mean, you're just amazed how they can disappear. You see them, and then they're gone. They're like, oh, there's Buck. Oh, not anymore. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> they call them, I think they call them the ghosts of the, the ghosts West, of right? The Pacific Northwest. Yeah. yeah. Blacktail are definitely the hardest animal I've ever hunted, the most challenging. Yeah. And my place, so I live on a little place that has some deer on it, you know, and I only saw little spikes all year, like little spikes, like the size of your pinky antlers, right? And then the other day, two days ago, I'm on the phone with Charlie talking about something, and I see in my pond reflection this fork and horn rack. 
So this buck was standing on the top of my hill and he was reflecting off the pond and he was a, still a smaller forking horn, but the better buck than I'd seen. So I was excited. So I got my binoculars. I'm out there still talking to Char, looking through the binoculars, you know, and then all of a sudden this massive four point stands up that was bedded down with this little buck. And I said some explicit words probably, but something along the lines of there's a hog or something like that while I'm talking to Charlie because he turned his head, you know, and now a big buck when they turn that big rack. And I mean, obviously there, I don't have a tag for this time of year. I'm not hunting. It's just seeing those animals and how beautiful they are. And just the difference between a big buck and a little buck and the amount of meat that you get. And I think that's what a lot of non hunters don't get. Why would you want to kill something so beautiful? You know, and it's, it's not about taking the animal's life. We love the meat, we enjoy the meat, but kind of what you were getting at, taking that older animal out of the herd that's probably, you know, got a few years left. I mean, the average lifespan of a black-tailed buck is 12 years, whereas a doe can live to into her 20s because they're fighting with each other. I mean, half the bucks in my neighborhood, their antlers are snapped off by the end of the season. After the rut. Yeah, so, you know, those big bucks hammer those little bucks, but once they reach that point where they're, starting to, you know, limp a little bit or not get around. And granted, neighborhood bucks are going to live till they die, right, most likely, um, or unless a coyote gets them or something like that. But um, anyway, I, I like the idea of trying to take a more mature buck, but I also love having meat in my freezer. So our hunting parties have always been historically, you know, eight to ten tags. So my mindset was always like put some meat in camp no matter what, you know. Well, I got something I want to touch touch on a little bit with your college background. Um, would that lifespan change for where those deer are located? For sure it would, yeah, and what they're eating and what they're doing and how much fighting they're doing. So that's just an average, you know, like from what the research I've done. And honestly, like I want to say they say an average blacktail buck is 8 to 12 years, so 12 is like on the higher end of a lifespan. So a right. town buck or a buck that's eating corn or – you know, out in the alfalfa fields and being left alone, not really being chased by very many predators, he's probably going to live longer than a, a buck that's really, you know, out there in the thick of it, you know? Yeah, and then, because, I, I mean, I always talk or hear people talk about the age of deer, and every time, at least for our hunting party, um, six or seven-year-old, they're pretty excited about. Oh, yeah. So, like, in like I haven't heard very many people or have seen anything on Facebook, I'm part of a lot of hunting groups and stuff like i don't see anything above that range yeah i think it's unlikely that they get past there between hunters and predators and all that and i mean even the difference between a one and a half year old deer you know he was nursing the year before and a three and a half year old deer you're talking three times 40 meat. pounds yeah i mean it's unbelievable i mean that one year charlie got his big four point and i shot a fork and horn we piled those meat piles next to each other after we cut those deer deer up. And it yeah. was, I mean, I want to say you had triple the meat that I had. Yeah. You know? It was a big difference. So, Kyler, tell us about your hunting season this year. You got to go to Idaho and tell yeah, us about that. I, uh, I, I hunted for about three months straight, it felt like. By the time hunting season was over, I was I'm I'm ready for a break. <laughs> I think you like the pain a little bit. I do, yeah. So uh, this year, uh, my buddy Josh Heckman... It was his first year bow hunting, and we probably put in, oh, maybe like 70, 80, 90 miles on the coast uh, in about, we probably hunted a total of like 16 to 20 days, and we had some good encounters with elk. and um, That was archery. Yeah, that was archery. We had bulls bugle and uh, just 
some challenging conditions with it being so dry and bulls getting hung up across drainages and but it was it was fun and Josh and I grew up together and played sports together and we used to fish every day that we could and he's a good buddy so we kind of reconnected and uh, it was a special special summer for me in that regard and then um, uh, this is the first year I had a uh, I've never rifle hunted and this is the first year I rifle hunted for blacktail in Oregon and uh, I went out a few times and it was hot and dry and we saw does and a few spikes and my buddy Lyndon calls me uh, the last week of the season. He says, hey, we got on some bucks down here on the coast. Uh, why don't you drive down? So I drove down to where he's from, and uh, he went out the day before and killed a little fork and horn. Um, and then his buddy Dylan the next day killed a giant 4 by 4 that he's been watching all year. And then uh, we went out the next morning and glass like, I want to say, 22 deer. Uh, in about four hours, and uh, I happened to be fortunate enough to see a, a fork and horn uh, down in a clear cut about 100, 150 yards from us, and I shot him, and that was my first blacktail, and that was that was awesome, and um, yeah, so that was that was great. And then Lyndon and I went to Idaho. This is our third year. We went over to Idaho to hunt uh, deer and elk. Um, we both had elk tags, but uh, we hiked some beautiful country, um, got on some fresh wolf tracks. We, I think the elevation changes over there were crazy, too, hiking. We started at like 3,500 feet all the way up to 6,200 feet. Um, so that was a challenge in and of itself, but uh, we were fortunate enough to take an elk, uh, a, a pretty good bull over there in Idaho as well. So it was a good season. Yeah. Lots of fun and just connecting with my friends and being outside. And I almost like the experience of being with my friends out in the woods and seeing them be successful and experience nature more than being successful in my hunt. I don't Mm -hmm. know if that makes sense, but seeing the excitement and knowing how special it is to them, uh, because I know it's special to me and those are memories that I get to keep forever. And, uh, yeah, that's, that's kind of what you were saying, Dylan. Like you're more excited to watch Taya go on this rifle hunt than if you were hunting yourself, you know? Oh, for sure. And it's the same for about anybody. I want to see other people have that success and know the joy of it. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, that all that work that goes into it, when you finally get to that point where you're putting meat in the freezer, it's unreal. Because mm-hmm. you know that, for one, you're going to save a bunch of money in groceries because you just put a bunch of meat and where you guys can eat it but just that experience of being out there and going through all the challenges because there's always adversity every single day there's a new challenge every day but also kyler i wanted to ask you um what was the reason why you guys picked idaho uh idaho is pretty it's it's gotten more challenging but to get tags but it's over the counter um out of state so we could get in line and purchase tags for units that are a little bit more challenging to hunt. We hunt unit 17 in the Selway, and there's like one road into the unit, and it's the Frank Church Wilderness area. And so there's not a lot of people. Like when we were in there, all we saw were outfitters and maybe a few locals. Um, but uh, 
we wanted something challenging that was far away, no service, no town, where we could really get away from everything and like push the limit a little bit, I guess. And um, I will say the first year we did that was the most challenging and rewarding hunt I've ever been on. Uh, we got so cold and like we're put through some pretty extreme conditions and I had never done anything like that. And I was like, the first day I was like, man, I don't know if I, this is for me. Like, I don't know if I can do it. And then coming back from that with all those experiences and overcoming all the adversity, uh, it definitely made me a better person. So, but yeah, uh, Idaho we chose cause it's easy to draw over the counter every year or you don't draw it's just over the counter tags. yeah you only have to get in line with 30 other thousand people right? yeah exactly yeah. but yeah <laughs> nine o'clock in the morning from till six o'clock at night something like that is it just me or are the most miserable hunts the most memorable i think so and i you know hunting with our other brother alex when i would you know go out with him and we would put a lot of time on the ground hiking we'd always talk about that like if you put the time in and you really get after it if you will you're gonna see something and maybe you don't get a shot because it's a glancing opportunity or you see an elk herd and you've got a, a mule deer tag or whatever but those are the experience that's still ingraining your mind right and coming back to camp so dog tired that when you get into that bunk and your feet hurt and you feel like you wore through your socks and you know everything hurts then you sleep really good number one but you also feel like okay i went out in there and did something you know, like I didn't, mm -hmm. you know, and I don't mind getting a cheap one either. You know, if the opportunity is right there, as soon as you're getting going, I'll, I'd take that all day. But, um, the cheap ones don't stick in your brain as well as the ones that you really had to work for, you know? Yeah. My most memorable bull that I killed with my bow, I put 160 miles in on the coast with my dad that season. And when we finally got it done, I was in tears because I was like, man, I, we worked so hard <laughs> for so long and like it all came together and it worked out and it was like, I will never forget that. Yeah. And it was so special because of the amount of work and time that went into it. Well, and that's how I felt about my antelope hunt last year. Right. So like I had put the weather conditions were terrible. You know, it was a hundred degrees and smoky from fires and stuff. And we'd put in a fair amount of work without drinking a lot of water. And Dylan, you and, your dad and I stayed for the last couple of days, you know, and he didn't hit him until after it hit me, but I was just dogging. Like I barely could get up that next day to go after him one more time. And it was plus that it was a 15 year thing in the making for me. Right. I'd put in for an antelope tag rifle tag for 15 years, finally draw it. And you want to fill that tag. I mean, you don't want to leave that tag empty. And we got the opportunity to get that antelope. And it was like, such a feeling of accomplishment to actually fill the tag number one, but then also finally this is over the exhaustion, you know, because I mean, I was belly crawling through the, just the weather. And just like, I remember being so thirsty that I would like drink anything that I could get my hands on. <laughs> so oh, we, yeah. we definitely had some, uh, we had an interesting experience. Sam shot a, a scruffy actually. Oh yeah. On that hunt. Yeah. A legal yeah. scruffy too. Yeah. So. I shot him legally. Yeah. Should have tagged him. Yeah. So the, do we want to tell that story or, yeah, go yeah. For uh, it. but let's let Charlie talk on that first and then we'll get into the scruffy story. Like, uh, whatever we were talking about. How about this, Charlie? I got a question for okay, you. Okay. Lay it on me. Um, what was the reason why you wanted to bow hunt? 
That's a good question. Um, I don't know. Uh, well, Sam started getting into it, and um, I think he just mentioned. Yeah, we didn't draw a rifle tag, and so we were able to get a bow tag um, kind of as our third choice. So we just decided to try that out and shot the bow a few times, and, um, yeah, it seemed like a fun time. So I will say, though, going out there bow hunting was kind of like a nostalgic feeling. It kind of reminded me of going hunting earlier on just because there's a lot less people. Um, so you really feel kind of like you're out there and, you know, there's not as much, sometimes rifle hunting, the units get super crowded. And so it can kind of diminish the outdoor experience. Uh, so bow hunting was really kind of refreshing. It just kind of reignited that whole outdoor experience. Um, and you just get the opportunity to see so many more animals and just a totally different way of hunting. Um, so I really appreciated that about it. Yeah, for sure. I mean, like we probably saw three other hunters, you know, versus rifle season, you know, you're out there beating the brush and then you hear a shot and you're like, Oh, I chased a buck to somebody. Cool. You know? Yeah. That was because when John and I started bow hunting, our thought was since it took so long to get that tag over there in the unit unnamed, um, (laughs) we, decided that this bow hunting thing is something we want to take a crack at because that's something you could go over there every year. Now the regulations have changed, but at the time you could go over east for the first part of the season and then late season you could still hunt over here. So we saw that as a big benefit mm-hmm. getting over there, and that's the place we like to be the most. It's At least for me anyways, it's like my happy place. It's where a place I always want to be. Yeah, It's like my vacation. It's where it's just the place. And they've changed it now where you got to put it in for a draw, but, you know, using it as your second or third choice, you don't use your primary points, you know, and you're still probably going to draw that tag and then be able to go on the hunt you want to go on. Yeah, there's know? definitely a chance. I think more people are starting to catch wind to it, though, mm-hmm. as, as time's going on, because that's what this is going to be the third year that that's been um, in the regulation. So, or second? Second, I think. Second? Yeah. Well, I think it's, isn't it third, it's, it's third, third for, for deer, deer, second for elk, yeah. I think. Yeah. yeah. Because elk was a year later, yeah. Um, but still, that that bow hunting, it's addicting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Once you once you go and do it, and you have those close encounters, like at the time, like that's all I wanted to do. Well, and like the the practice piece is fun, right? So I would go home every night and shoot twelve arrows right at my target, and it was just an unwind from the workday kind of thing. Preparing, it's not like your arm's going to be sore from shooting a cannon like you shoot for rifle season. Plus, ammo is so expensive. But, you know, field tips, you're not going to probably lose an arrow. I mean, occasionally maybe. But, you know, you are you get you can get a lot of practice time in, which is also just helps with the anticip- anticipation and the buildup and the excitement to go on that hunt, yeah. you know. Yeah. Yeah. And, I, well, touching on the losing arrow things, I've lost a fair <laughs> amount of arrows in my day. Um, even just practicing, I would say that I've lost more arrows practicing than actually hunting. Oh, for, oh, for sure. I've for lost sure. a couple mm. practicing. Yeah, where it's like they come off the – you're at draw and you want to go back or something, and then that arrow goes. Oh. <laughs> and like I, I lost one that year, this year, that hit my garden and, like, shattered. You know, so that wasn't yeah. going to be a shootable arrow. Like 3D shoots, I always lose about four or five on the first shoot of the year, typically. Yeah. Well, it's just like golf. 
right? Yeah, when I first started golfing, it was like a ball a hole. <laughs> really expensive, yeah. but right. once you get better, it's nice. Well, and that's the thing. It's like we talked about earlier. It's all about honing your craft and getting better. Like, I want to be a better bow hunter. I want to be a better shooter. I want to get a side on my bow where I can go out a little further, for, especially for Eastern Oregon, you know, like maxing out at like 60 yards is not ideal over there, you know? So, um, anyway, you know, it's exciting. It's exciting to be a hunter. It's an exciting time to be a hunter. There's so much technology changes and stuff where, you you know, as far as on the rifle side where you can, and even the bow side, I mean, the bow side, you look at how it's evolved over the years and how, you know, favorable it is for a hunter. And I know there are some hunters that think, okay, I'd rather go old school and make it more challenging and that's great once you've honed your craft i'm not there yet you know like i i need that technology to have a sporting chance you know yeah bow hunting was definitely like i thought for to be completely honest with you guys i thought that i was going to walk into that unit freaking first day four point done right like i was like man this is gonna be easy yeah this is (laughs) this is just handing it to me and then once you start doing it and for me, like I was shooting at these block targets, me and John would hunt or shoot every Tuesday and Thursday. And we had this 10 target set up at my parents' place, mm-hmm. do like a 3D shoot kind of. Did a bunch of different scenarios. And then once it's out there in the real world and you're shooting at a deer or whatever the case may be, everything changes. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. you're not dealing with that buck fever when you're practicing. Man, I missed so many blacktail bucks the first three years I started bow hunting. I'd forget to breathe. My knees would lock out. I'd get all shaky. Dude, I, it was it was brutal. So Well, uh, and Oregon just brought mechanicals to the table, and I think that's kind of a game changer personally. I mean, from what I've seen, I mean, people will argue fixed broadhead versus mechanical, and that's a whole – like we do a whole podcast on that. But, I mean, just from what I've seen, and how that arrow flies and stuff like that i mean it's it's a game changer for most people oh yeah and i i do think a lot of that though is just like that personal preference what somebody as soon as they're comfortable somebody or something they're not going to change it yeah once their setup Mm -hmm. is shooting right like that's what they're staying yeah and another thing about that eastern oregon hunt i noticed that well, first of all, the ground over there is loud as can be. Like rifle, you can go sit up on top of a hill and then shoot 500 yards or whatever the case may be. But with your bow, once you get on top and you see one 500 yards away, you have to go. How am I going to get there? What am Which I supposed to the wind do? Blowing? Yeah. How much yeah. time do I got? Is he bedded? Yeah. Yeah. Everything comes into play a little different. Well, that last hunt Charlie and had this year, we got on that same group of deer we'd been chasing around, and there was this doe in there that had kind of a sore on her back. And so it was kind of easy to identify him. And we found her in her bed on the binos, you know. And so I'm laying up on this cliffside. We we watched him for 30 minutes probably with not a lot. It felt like it was probably 15. But, you know, uh, they hadn't done much, and they were just kind of laying there. And we didn't see the bucks that were with that group. And so Charlie kind of was going around them, and then all of a sudden the buck pops up. But, you know, he's still 212 yards away, and I got a 70-yard maximum, you know. And they're feeding away from us slowly, but they don't see us. And so I kind of motioned for him uh, because he had seen the buck too. And he kind of worked his way back around. And then we slowly just kind of put a stock on him. And we never got in shooting range, but we, that must have been what, two hours back and forth. Yeah, at least. And it was awesome. I mean, just pursuing that buck and like getting up on him and then have him bump out another hundred yards and then getting on him, have him bump another hundred yards. Finally, we were out of ground. And he had to cross the road, and then he bolted, you know? 
<laughs> but yeah, I got uh, one good story on that too, as far as how challenging it is over there. Those deer are so much bigger when they are that hundred, 200 yards away, they look way closer. Mm-hmm. And I, at the very, uh, we had this glass and I'll be always glass for rifle and stuff. And, um, I was walking, doing this big stock. We had this three point bedded. It was going to be perfect right on this rock ledge. And as I'm coming down, all of a sudden I feel the wind switch and just hit the back of my neck and it was blown right at him. And I went, Oh, this is going to be sweet. And he stands up and walks up and comes a little bit closer to me and gets on top of that rock and stands there broadside looking at me. And I can see my dad up on the hill. He's, I don't know, 500 yards up the hill. And I said, okay, John, range that buck for me. And he ranges. He's like, dude, that's 150 yards. I go, oh, okay. And then you can hear my dad from the top going, shoot it. <laughs> like, cause he, I mean, from that perspective for him, it looks way different. Yeah. It looks like so, it's right on you. Yeah. He, yeah. he thought when we went up there, he goes, why didn't you shoot that thing? He goes, well, it was almost 200 yards away from me. <laughs> right. He goes, oh, well, it looks like it was 45 from you from up here. So, <laughs> well, I have an embarrassing rangefinder story. So I, uh, you know, bow hunting is relatively new to me within the last three or four years. So I bought a rangefinder. I always thought you had to click the button each time you ranged. And then we're at my cousin's house on the way home this year. And he's like, if you hold it down, you literally can move it to different things. And I'm like, oh, that's a game changer. Yeah, you know? that's, a, that's a nice feature. Not really, not re-ranging every time I tried to range something. You know, I really thought that story was going about that one fork and horn you shot for like, what was it, 20 yards and it was 70 or something? <laughs> yeah. With Jason Rush? Oh, sorry. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Jason? What? Well, <laughs> yeah, I, ra- I ranged. Yeah, that's right. I ranged it. I picked up something at 25, and the deer was at 75. So, uh, you know, it must have been a, a branch in between me and the deer. And I told myself it was my first year bow hunting, and I'm, it was downhill, and my rangefinder accounts for, you know, inclination. So I was like, okay, trust your equipment, you know, <laughs> pulled back at 25, still went up to like 35 and still danced at his toes a little bit. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah. that's where I thought this story was going. No, that was a learning lesson though. Um, we'll share the antelope story another time as we've already talked for an hour. Can you believe that? Uh, oh, that pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, it was, it was nice chatting with you guys. It was fun. Hopefully, you know, with our audio challenges, we didn't talk over each other the whole time, and this won't be a waste of an hour, but it was still fun either way. It was good talking hunting stories with all you guys. So. Yeah, it was fun. Yeah. yeah. I'm sure yeah, this worked it. out good because we have this dialed, this whole Super. software. Yeah. Yeah, we got it I'd be figured. surprised if it isn't. <laughs> First time every time. That's right. That's how it works. It's just like hunting, you know? Yeah. First time out, you always kill the biggest deer. Exactly. We just need to keep off the record that it took us an hour and a half to get going and four FaceTime calls. Edit. Edit. Yeah.